shit, it's the coin toss. One surprise topic off the rip. Two sides of a coin. Tarek, heads or tails? I'm gonna take tails. It's heads. Oh, well. All right. I guess that's awkward. I, 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 I'm gonna get the ball. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna give yourself the ball. The ref gets the ball. <laughs> Uh, week one of uh, NFL season, and the zebra's already taken over, huh? Um, <laughs> Tarek, I'm gonna give you the ball anyway. Um, I, I got a got a question for you here. Lay it on me. Jonathan Taylor is still holding out. Well, he's on the pup. How many games is he gonna miss this year? Let's go over under six and a half. I'm gonna go under, and it's purely a function of me remaining optimistic uh, that he's gonna play this year. Um, I'm hoping that him being on the pup is like a little bit of a silent protest, um, but then he's actually reasonably healthy and is going to come back after four games so that he can play and his contract can toll and, you know, hopefully he's got a better chance of landing on a different team next year. There's also the possibility that he still could be traded, right? Like, mm -hmm. there, you know, the trade deadline isn't for a couple of months, so I think we could see that happen. I'm hoping we see that happen. Uh, I've been big in on buying Jonathan Taylor this offseason, so I'm not going to lie. Uh, the news of the last couple of weeks has been a pretty big blow to my dynasty portfolio, but uh, what can I do? I got I to gotta remain optimistic. Yeah, or you could be like me and remain pessimistic. It's it's really not the, the Jonathan Taylor or anything to do with him. I think it's Jim Ursay who is just... An unbelievable piece of shit. And I, I think he's just <laughs> going to be petty. And so trading him, we already saw him ask for, what, Jalen Waddle and a first or something really stupid like that. Um, yeah, hopefully reportedly. he comes down from that. But I'm kind of sick to my stomach. I did buy Jonathan Taylor as well. And it, it just it doesn't feel good. I, I think it's still the right process to buy a player of that caliber for Dynasty. But as for this year, I, I don't I don't know. I, I don't feel great. I think that there is a possibility that he misses over that six and a half mark that that I said. I mean, he's guaranteed to miss four. And so if he gets traded, then he might not miss a game, but he's going to take some time acclimating to the offense, kind of like what we saw with uh, Christian McCaffrey last year. Um, and so, yeah, I I think he's going to miss more. And as this continues, say he misses the, the week five game or something, then you'll have a little more time on that dynasty roster to see how you're doing and evaluate whether you wanted to make a move for Jonathan Taylor for the 2024 season. But I think it's going to be rough for all of you JT managers out there. Yeah, I, I do agree that he is still a process buy. Right? Yeah. It's like it, I, I have him on a team uh, where I was looking at contending. I actually won uh, this league last year, so I've got some laurels to rest on. Um, and I ended up buying JT for what I believe was like two mediocre running backs. I think it was Joe Mixon and Miles Sanders. Like I paid those two running backs to get Jonathan Taylor earlier in the offseason. Um, and now with this news, I have switched to like a reset year to where I'm going to be building for 2024. So even right now, I think like this pessimism around Jonathan Taylor can be enough signal for you to make a decision on your team kind of based on the context 
Um, like if you were kind of deciding between productive struggle or going in on this year, I think this could be a good push towards a productive struggle as we know that those JT points are at least going to be out of your lineup for four weeks. So again, uh, was rough news. It looked like the trade was imminent, uh, on that, uh, final day. Um, I I believe it was cut down day that it looked like it was, it was actually going to happen. It looked like Miami was going to make it happen. I was super excited. Uh, I was ready to move JT up to my dynasty running back two uh, if he landed on the Miami Dolphins. So, alas, uh, now he's you know kind of borderline top five, probably more like running back seven. Yeah, I I think that really shows why he's the the process by is because I mean one one good thing happens and he's vaulted up to running back two overall in dynasty. The the trade that I made to solidify myself as a contender hopefully i traded away tank bigsby quinton johnston and a 2024 first for jonathan taylor deandre swift and amari cooper so i still feel pretty good about that i'm high on swift as you guys know and amari cooper should keep me keep me afloat while jt does his thing but we'll see I, uh, by the way, for anybody in the TLQ league, uh, I completely underrepresented that trade. I traded away Austin Eckler and Joe Mixon for Jonathan Taylor earlier in the offseason. That was in May. Mediocre so Austin that, Eckler, as, as Tarek yeah, says. Yeah, so that, that is not feeling great <laughs> as I relive that trade in real time. Uh, so tight. <laughs> well, on that note, let's get to going. What the fuck is going on, everyone? Welcome into episode 93 of the Long Game Dynasty podcast, a roundtable discussion about Dynasty fantasy football. I'm your host, Tarek Angry Tibin Shuya, and as you can probably tell from the coin toss, today's roundtable, more of uh, a rectangle uh, with two sides empty. So, uh, Mitch, what's going on, man? It's just me and you today. Building castles in the sky. Uh, yeah. You know... Trey, congrats. Our guy Trey is getting married. Uh, what, a couple of days now? Yeah, this Saturday. This Saturday, so I'm sure uh, we'll excuse this absence, I'd say. But I'm good. I'm excited to uh, to head up to Portland, Maine and chill with the boys and hopefully watch some football together, too. I'm, I'm sure, sure uh, that's where Trey's mind's at. That's where mine's at, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll all be convening up in Portland to see... Trey get hitched, uh, and we all, uh, Trey, Mitch, and I saw each other a couple weeks ago uh, as our friend Ross got married in Austin. So, been a nice few weeks on the TLG side getting to catch up and hang out with each other in person. Uh, but yeah, congrats to Trey, um, but we'll we'll soldier on uh, as the crystal raindrops fall, just <laughs> the two of us today. Uh, so, we're going to be doing a similar episode that to what we did uh, about a year ago ahead of the 2022 season uh, for 2023. And Mitch and I are each going to give a handful of things that we are going to be paying close attention to over the first month of the season for Dynasty. So, you know, we talk about being reactive versus being reactionary. Um, we talk about that sometimes in August when it comes to training camp news, 
But I think also in the first month of the season, it's important to kind of designate a handful of things that you think might uh, reveal themselves early and that uh, may trigger you to act uh, versus uh, react uh, in the first month uh, on your dynasty team. So as we talked about with Jonathan Taylor in the first part of the show there, sometimes, you know, you need a little push in one direction or another uh, to make a decision on a player, to make a decision on one of your dynasty teams, whether or not you want to go into rebuild mode, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to go over eight things today uh, that we'll be paying attention to in the first month that uh, might, you know, drive us to make some decisions in those dynasty leagues. So without further ado, uh, let's get into it. Mitch, I'll kick it to you first. What is the first thing you'll be paying attention to over the first month of the 2023 season that starts in three days? Hell yeah, brother. Well, the first four weeks or first five weeks, the early part of the season here, one of the things that I will be paying attention to is how broken the Rams are. So I've been getting a lot of offers for Cooper Cup lately, and it got me just thinking about where this team is as a whole. You got... Matthew Stafford turning 26 this year at uh, 26. You got Matthew Stafford turning 36 <laughs> this year. And you got Cooper Cup seeing specialists about chronic hamstring issues. You've got Cam Akers, who, as you know, sucks. And <laughs> even if he doesn't, the offensive line was ranked 31st last year. So I, I don't think that the Rams are um, going to be doing that well. And when I look at the first four games, they are at Seattle. They are home against the 49ers. Then they go back on the road against the Bengals. And they stay on the road Ooh. against the Colts, which might be their first win. And then yeah. they come back home against the Eagles. So my goodness, we're talking yeah, about that's a one team. and four. Yeah, I, I don't really see another way around that, especially if Cooper Cup isn't playing. So I'm bringing this up because I'm trying to sort this out and I'm trying to figure out what to pay attention to because right now with Cooper Cup dealing with all of this, of course, people are trying to sell him for like sell high because of his obvious potential. But I, so I, I do know that like bad teams can produce good fantasy players, but sure. I think the jig might be up here and, uh, Going back to Stafford, I mean, last year he had 12.9 fantasy points per game, and it's hard to see him improve on that. So, um, And then you also got the guy, uh, you got Puka, who's been getting a lot of those uh, off-season hypes, and the dude's probably going to start week one. So um, I'm just, I'm finding all of this pretty difficult to digest. So um, I'd like to know where you are on these players and um, what... The idea, what what would you do when this team is inevitably one and four? Are we going to be making moves for Cup? Or are we going to be making moves for Stafford because we think he'll write the ship? Yeah, um, so I have 0% exposure to Cooper Cup uh, in my Dynasty Leagues. Um, I Part of that is because I was stupid enough to believe Robert Woods uh, mm. would be the guy a couple years ago. Uh, before Cooper Cup's 2021 season where he went absolutely nuclear. So part of it's on me, but also uh, I just thought the price was always too high, like as he was nearing that age 30. Um, and yeah, I mean, we saw it bear out last year uh, with him 
you know, getting hurt uh, and, you know, not playing obviously as well as he did in 2021 during the Rams Super Bowl year. But talking about Cup, I, I don't consider him a buy even with like the current injury discount. Like I have gotten some offers to buy Cooper Cup from teams who are looking to contend and, and they're they're worried about the hamstring injury. And I'm worried about it, too. Like, I think, again, he's he's, you know, past 30 now. You know, I, I, I feel like it's either something that's going to be bothering him all year or maybe he overcomes it. But if he does, it's not going to be like it was, you know, I just I, I'm 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 worried about him plateauing as a player past 30, even if people say that like slot receivers, maybe their game will age better than, you know, those guys that play on the outside. I don't know. I'm just I. I I get worried when I think about Cooper Cup. So I, I feel like I didn't really say much there, but I, I I don't I let it all boil down to I don't think he's like an injury discount buy right now like Jonathan Taylor is. And to to that point, so the offers that I've been getting for Cooper Cup uh, generally have like Chris Olave for Cup and a first or like Garrett Wilson for Cup and a first, something like that. And as I respect the the idea there to uh, to make that move for the other team, like like I said, I I just I I don't think that's a, a good idea at all. And what we've been alluding to is that we might be sticking the fork in Cooper Cup. Like his upside doesn't seem to be as high as it used to be, and I. I don't know. I think I think this ship is sinking. And yeah, I mean, I think I think Cooper Cup's upside is probably still pretty high. Like it's like, you know, in the 1400, 1500 yard range, which is great. Like and as long as he's healthy, he's probably going to soak up a lot of targets. But two years ago, he had like 1900 yards. You know, I could I just I don't think that's ever going to happen again. And drafting him or thinking that he will get back to that level is probably a losing bet as he closes in on 31. Now, I will say, you know, we've only talked about Cooper Cup and you brought up the whole Rams offense. So thinking about Matthew Stafford earlier in the offseason, I did think of Stafford as a value. Um, And I still do. Like he's quarterback 30 on keep trade cut. Uh, It was just a couple of years ago that he was a QB one. So the delta kind of between what Matthew Stafford has to achieve to return value is a lot more accomplishable than, you know, the same thing for Cooper Cup, right? Cooper Cup, even with the injury, is now like a borderline round one, round two pick in redraft leagues. Matthew Stafford's free in redraft. He's quarterback 30 in dynasty, according to Keep Trade Cut. So I think there's plenty, you know, of value to be had there. Uh, I don't think he is a horrible investment as your QB three on a contending roster. Do you think that he surpasses that 12.9 points per game? How do you, I, that's an extremely low bar. So I, I, I don't think like 13, you know, points per game is hard for him to accomplish. Like you said, like, I, I don't see him like getting past that. I mean, I think like if, the Rams are, you know, somewhere between where they were last year and where they were the year before. That's probably what I would project. So I think, you know, I, I would probably project somewhere in like the 16 points per game, right? So he's like solidly a quarterback too. I do think he's got some low end QB1 upside if things 
work out. I'm not saying I expect them to, you know, work out in this to be like a particularly great offense, but I think, you know, 13 points per game is an extremely low bar for who we think is like a pretty decent quarterback. Yeah, it's just the O-line that scares me and his inability to run these days that I I don't know. As you said, it's it's a pretty easy bar, but I I'm I have no confidence in him surpassing that bar. Now, gotcha. with that said, uh, we, we talked about the other wide receivers in this room. Uh, you got Puka and you got uh, Van Jefferson. Either of these guys, somebody you're looking at? Uh, I mean, I do have Puka Nakwa on a, like a handful of taxi squads just, you know, because he was available like in the late third, early fourth round of some rookie drafts that I took a flyer on. Um, but I'm not expecting anything. Uh, I have 0% exposure on in my dynasty leagues of Van Jefferson, Cooper Cup, and Cam Akers. I do have some Matthew Stafford. So that's just backing up what I said there. I think all of those other guys, I'm I'm worried about them returning value. I think on quarterback 30, Stafford uh, can do it pretty easily. All right. And the last thing I'll ask on this topic here. So trying to look for something actionable. We're assuming that they're going to be one in four. Is there a move to make here? when they're one and four uh is is that the time to take a flyer on cup or stafford if if their manager is uh pretty sour on the situation potentially like if if i'll say this if cup is playing like maybe he's like not returning the points per game production that you would want um but if he's playing and it doesn't look like he's had any setbacks on his hamstring within like the first couple of weeks that he comes back then I think there's potential for there to be a cup by window. Because again, as long as he's playing, I do expect him to be a wide receiver one. I'm just not expecting the same kind of upside that we saw two years ago. All right. Um, but I think that's a big if. Like right now, it's it's doubtful that he plays in week one. Like like you said, he just flew to Minnesota to see this <laughs> specialist. So it, it does not look good. Um, but okay, cool. Uh, let's move on to my first thing I'll be watching over the first month and it's a it's a two for one uh i was gonna do these two players separately but since they play for the same team i'm gonna do it uh as one and that is the bears so first can justin fields play like straight up can he can he be a good quarterback and two does the bears coaching staff think khalil herbert is as Mm. good as i think he is so uh, first on Justin Fields, um, you know, we've had this conversation a lot this offseason with Trey uh, because, you know, Trey and I kind of differ a little bit. Trey's not as worried about the downside of Justin Fields as a passer as I am. Uh, shout out to at McNamara Dynasty for this stat. Justin Fields over the first two years of his career has ranked 36th of 39 quarterbacks in EPA per play. So that's expected points added, essentially how well your quarterback has contributed contributing to winning that's 36 out of 39 only better than sam darnold davis mills and zach wilson and it it bears saying that epa is a stat that is greatly boosted by scrambling scrambling does a lot for epa so that just goes to show how terrible fields has been with his arm so i think if fields can improve to being a league average passer He's going to be a nightmare for years. He's going to be a perennial QB1 in Dynasty. He'll be a franchise quarterback for the Bears. DJ Moore should help that, but DJ Moore is not a panacea. Like He's not going to solve all the problems there. He Ju- Justin Fields has to be better, right? He has to you know, take some version of that Jalen Hurts or that Josh Allen step. Uh, and through two years, Fields has been worse as a passer 
than Allen or Hertz was before their big breakout. So I'm a little worried there. Before I go on to Khalil Herbert, interested to hear what you think about Justin Fields and maybe kind of from your film watching perspective, do you do you feel like Justin Fields it backs up that EPA stat? Like he's got a long way to go when it comes to you know reading defense. Oh yeah, and that's that's what is painful about watching his tape is like of course it's hindsight analysis. You're like he's so open and he he just doesn't see the guy or he chooses to pull it down and run, which he's extremely good at. Um, I do like what the Bears did. I I like that they went out and got DJ Moore, and I like what they've been doing with this running back room, which we're about to talk about. I think that by adding the talented runners in uh, Foreman and Roshan, I think they're going to take a little bit of pressure off of Fields' arm and put it more in in his legs and handing the ball off and trying to open up the passing game with that. And as we saw in the preseason, DJ Moore was catching those, uh, those short passes, which I'm sure will get incorporated as well. And then you have field stretchers like Chase Claypool or even Mooney who are still there. So they, they gave Justin Fields an opportunity to be the guy there. And so I think that the first four weeks is going to be it, it's going to be uh it's definitely going to be telling of where he's improved you know it i don't think that his fantasy success is dependent on his arm i do think that his long-term success is dependent on his arm so right even if he doesn't get it together with his arm i think the bears will be good enough or improve enough to have him justin fields be the unquestioned starting quarterback so wheels up this year for sure. Um, it, right. It, I, I, go ahead. I, I will say if we don't see improvement in the passing game, like after the first half of the season, I, I would actually start to, to get kind of concerned whether or not he's putting up crazy fantasy points or not. Because what? I mean, this is year three. Like we have to see it. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say is like as far as something actionable here. Like he can still, you know, be bad as a passer and be putting up the same quarterback five points per game that he was last year. And if that is to, if that were to happen, you know, I would I, I would be looking to sell the shares of Justin Fields that I have. Right. Because especially if he's putting up good fantasy points, like a lot of times your league mates, that's really all they're going to pay attention to. And if you're, you know, paying attention to his EPA, to his QBR, to, you know, his adjusted uh, completion percentage, those kinds of things, uh, and you're seeing the same kinds of warning signs that we've been seeing over the first two years, um, it might be a good opportunity to sell. I I will also say, like, the Bears, they start uh, at home versus the Packers, at the Buccaneers, um, at the Chiefs, then they're at home versus the Broncos, then they're at the Commanders. That's like a a pretty decent schedule. Obviously, they'll probably lose to the Chiefs, but, you know, five of their first six games are pretty winnable um, for the Bears. So, again, that could be a situation where they're winning games. Justin Fields is killing it with his legs, but if he's still not there as a passer, it might present a sell opportunity that your league mates might not see because, like, from a long-term perspective – I'm really worried about his arm. Seems like we're on the same page on that one. Both of us like fields, but if the writing is on the wall, if we don't see the improvement in the passing game, he's 
going to lose that job eventually. And uh, yeah. this could be two years from now, but, you know, uh, I, I think, yeah, I, I think I'm with you 100% on this one, man. Right. Like, if if this situation were to play out, you know, where he's still scoring fantasy points, like, you could potentially get, like, a Kyler Murray and a first and, you know, a throw in in addition to, mm-hmm. to, to that, to, to Kyler Murray in a first, right? So that could be like a, a, a package that you could be looking for if this situation were to play out. So let's, let's talk about Khalil Herbert um, because he's running back 29 on a keep trade cut. And that's actually up significantly since he was announced as the starter just a few weeks ago. He was more in like that running back 36 range. So he went from a low end RB3 to a high end RB3. But still, that's, that's a running back three despite winning the job after being one of the best runners in the entire league for his t- first two years, whether in support of David Montgomery or in relief of David Montgomery when he was hurt. Obviously, for Herbert, I expect some regression in rushing yards over expectation as the volume goes up. You know, he was near the top of the league in that stat the last couple of years, but I don't think he's just going to stop being really good. You know, you talked about Deontay Foreman a little earlier. He's hurt right now, and he was also by beat beat reporters kind of thought to be a roster bubble guy mm. uh, going in, you know, through the offseason. So, you know, Ryshon, uh, excuse me, Roshan Johnson might be a thorn in his side, especially if he takes over that third down role. But the barrier to entry in terms of acquiring Khalil Herbert is just so low right now. Like, you only have to pay running back three prices you know, in startups, you can get him, you know, in the borderline double digit rounds. Uh, I've drafted him in redraft over the last couple of weeks really cheaply to be my running back too. I just think like as much as I've been saying it over the last few years, Khalil Herbert remains a buy. Like he has been a buy his entire career. And I think he remains one at running back 29. I agree. Um, one of my favorite team names from last year that I came up with was high on Herb because I too (laughs) am high on Herb. And one thing that the Bears did that was extremely frustrating for us last year was they gave David Montgomery the ball like 65% of the time. And if they decide to give Khalil Herbert that sort of workload, then the dude is going to be much better than a RB3, as you mentioned. So I think that he absolutely gets the first crack at it. But Roshan Johnson's been a bit of a darling for a lot of fantasy managers. And I think the expectation is that the starting role goes to Roshan by the end of the year. And as a Texas fan like yourself, I I don't know if you see see that. I, I don't particularly see that. I don't. And let me just like reemphasize, I'm rooting for Roshan Johnson, converted quarterback, you know, was a really reliable runner for Texas behind Bijan Robinson the last couple of years. But he doesn't do anything exceptionally like he's except maybe pass protection, which is important. You know, like he's he's a good pass protector, but we know that Khalil Herbert is an excellent rusher. So I just don't think they can keep the ball out of his hands because they like Roshan Johnson in pass protection, especially because they've seen Khalil Herbert for two years and they know what he can do. So, yeah, I, 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 
I'm rooting for Roshan Johnson. I think he's going to carve out a significant role in this offense. But again, and we say this all the time, most backfields are committee backfields right now. And we expect the Bears to have a good rushing offense. And Khalil Herbert's going to be the leader there. And you're getting him for borderline running back 30 prices. So I do have a question. At what point does Khalil Herbert no longer fulfill that that buy category? When does he become a sell that's a good question. I think like what if he gets into like the J.K. Dobbins range at like running back 19, 18, then, you know, I'll start to come off of him for sure. I think that's about where he should be, though. I think he should be around Aaron Jones and Joe Mixon and Miles Sanders and like the low end RB2 range. But like I'm looking at keep trade cut right now and James Cook is running back 18, right? So like there's plenty of room for him to move up. He, there's a lot of argument to be made for Khalil Herbert uh, in that range. Like Rashad White at running back 21, give me Khalil Herbert straight up. Uh, I you know, And we're going to talk about Rashad White's uh, situation later. A uh, little hint there. Mm-hmm. But like I just think there's a lot of headroom in front of him to move up before I start to get scared off of the price. Uh, Khalil Herbert or Aaron Jones? I'll take Aaron Jones for now. Um, and that just comes down to like, I I know Aaron Jones is also very talented and there's a little bit less question uh, with his workload there. But again, I, I could argue it because Aaron Jones is almost 29, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So there's there's... Again, there's plenty of headroom in front of Khalil Herbert. Like, um, I'll I'll take him over Isaiah Pacheco. Uh, I'll take him over Cam Akers. I'll take him over Rashad White. I'll take him over James Cook. Those these are all players in front of him. Uh, so, um, again, you know, I, I think he's a screaming value. He always has been since the moment he entered the league. Uh, he was one of my highest rostered players coming out of the 2021 draft. Um, and I'm still banging the table. I mean, borderline reputation player for me. I just thought it would have been boring for me to talk about him again. I think I would take Khalil Herbert over Najee Harris as well. <laughs> wow. And uh, yeah, and that's uh, that, now, now that's bold. I, and what I mean is I, I value him higher. I understand that like it would be silly to make that selection. But with that said, if I had any Najee Harris shares and I don't, I would trade them for Khalil Herbert and you could probably get something substantial in addition. So yeah, I, I like where I like where you're coming from man. I, I have Khalil Herbert far too down in my ranks, but my ranks were updated mid July. And now that there is some clarity to this running back room. Uh, yeah, man, I, I like sure. it. All right. Well, easy to say that I will be watching the bears. Uh, I, I also live in Chicago, so I guess that that's appropriate. Uh, over the first month of the season. All right, let's keep it moving. Mitch, what is the second thing you're going to be paying attention to over the first month? Well, I'm going to kind of keep it in Chicago, at least for week one, because that's where Jordan Love is going to be. And my my question is, what is Jordan Love? Is Love blind? No. Uh, no, I think... <laughs> Uh, I didn't write that down. Yet. That was fucking terrible. Yeah, pretty... uh, <clears throat> the, uh, Nick Lachey just barrels into the podcast. Is love really blind? I mean, he throws like it sometimes, but <laughs> look, the, the, the Packers did try to trade for Jonathan Taylor, too. But apparently Jim Irsay wanted Aaron Rodgers, and you know how that worked out. So uh, love finished the preseason 21 of 33, three touchdowns, zero picks, zero sacks. Pretty good. And... 
I, you could see the accuracy issues show up, and I, I do have a problem with those. But uh, Jordan Love is, he's got some wiggle to him, too. So I, I'm not trying to completely walk back everything I've said about him. But I think after these four weeks, we'll have a much better idea of what to expect from him. So I'm still out, but I think if Love can average over 16 points a game, which I think he might be able to do, I'd be willing to change my tune. So if he's a quarterback one in the first four weeks once, I think I'd be impressed by that as well. So week one, you got the Bears. Week two, they go to the Falcons. Week three, they're home versus the Saints. And week four, they're home versus the Lions. All of these games are completely winnable if the Packers team is average or above average, I think. So, uh, yeah. And I think the wide receiver situation, Christian... um, Oh, God. Watson. Christian Watson. I was like, Kirk? No. Christian Watson. (laughs) um, He really showed up last year. And then we have Jaden Reed. So they did surround him. Um, but you know, I'm talking about practice. He looked good at practice. He looked good in preseason. And, um, once, once the, uh, the real games start, I think we'll finally get to see what we've been waiting for with Jordan Love. Um, yeah. Uh, so I will say that if he shows up and if he looks better, I'd be willing to soften my stance and buy into Jordan Love as a uh, quarterback too. I don't have a problem with that. I think I'm kind of like where you are with Jordan Love generally, where I I think he's probably terrible, but I don't actually know. You know, like I I, I don't think we can fully say like he's only p- played what he started like how many games as a professional, like three or something like that. So we we really don't have any idea what this guy has. Um, you mentioned some of his we- weapons like Christian Watson looks like a good player. I I think Jaden Reed has a really intriguing profile. I really loved Luke Musgrave going there in the second round. So he's got an intriguing group of young weapons. We know his running back group is is solid. Aaron Jones is good. AJ Dillon is, is fine. So like there's you can tell the story about Jordan Love having a surprising year, but that's exactly what it would be. It would be surprising, I think, if he if he if he ended up being good. So um, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, Green Bay Packers sleeper to win that division or anything like that. I, I think the Vikings uh, and and the Lions should be significantly favored uh, for good reason. But yeah, I mean, l- let me turn it back to you. Like if Jordan Love comes out and he's a league average quarterback, he's driving the bus reasonably well with that young group of pass catchers like are you going to be willing to give up a 2024 first for him? Uh, like what I, that even that seems a little bit aggressive, but like, what do you think? No, I, I wouldn't. And I do think that if he shows up those first four weeks and uses his legs and puts up average or above average fantasy points, then he's an absolute sell because there's really no reason to believe that the, the Packers have long-term interest in him until they show us that. So yeah, I, I think this is, as you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, uh, reactionary versus um, reactive. Yeah. It's like right now on keep trade cut, he's worth about a late 2024 first. So he's already a little bit out of our price range. I think I, I saw a lot of Jordan love getting moved for like the 2023 111 this past draft season. 
um, like in that like Devon A chain area of the draft, you know, potentially Dalton Kincaid, like people were moving that pick for Jordan Love. I saw that in like three or four leagues. So again, like if he has, you know, according to the broader macro market, if he has a decent start to the year, he's going to, we're going to be priced out. I think like it's, it's, it's going to be hard to justify. Right. And I'm saying that he's going to be an absolute sell, but let's flip this the other way. Let's say the Packers uh-huh. come out and there's fucking terrible right or they just run the ball that's why i brought up the uh the jt uh attempted trade because if you were going to try to have aaron jones aj dylan and jonathan taylor that tells me that uh you might want to run the ball a little bit so yeah I, maybe they they like don't let jordan love sling it maybe they just try to keep this offense simple and run the ball and you know uh if if he comes out and sucks then is he a buy? I, I'd imagine that his price drops. Um, and if I can buy Jordan Love for a second, I think that's when I start getting yeah. interested in this conversation. Be- that's that's a great line. I think like even if he comes out and sucks, even if he comes out and like he's bad, I will still pay a second mm-hmm. for him because he's a young starting quarterback in the NFL. It'll be his first year starting. He's probably going to get the full year if they don't draft, you know, in the top five, he'll probably get some of next year, too. So there's there's room for improvement. I think, too, if he comes out and he's like decent and he looks decent the first four weeks, you could probably flip him for Geno Smith and a little extra on the other side, too, for a guy that is probably has the, the same amount of years left in his career. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a, no, for better sure. Offense, so better offense. I mean, Gino was legit good last year. So um I, I like that too. That's a that's a good idea. Like if if Jordan Love comes out, he's pretty decent. Go get Gino Smith in a little bit on top. But either way, pay attention to how Jordan Love does at the beginning of the year, right? For sure. I'm gonna build on your topic for my second topic here because it's about rookie tight ends. Um, so the the next thing I'm gonna be looking out for over the first month of the season is what is going on with these rookie tight ends? Um, like it was such a good class uh, in 2023 that I feel like we're going to have an Evan Ingram year from someone, right? That like 800 to 900 yards, like six to eight touchdowns, which for a rookie tight end is like smashing it, mm-hmm. right? So between Kincaid on the Bills, Laporta on the Lions, Michael Mayer on the Raiders, and Luke Musgrave on the Packers. I think all of them have a shot at being a fantasy contributor in year one. Uh, And again, that's huge for a rookie tight end. And I said I wanted to build on your last topic because Luke Musgrave is my most rostered tight end Hmm. across all leagues, not just rookie tight ends. He is my most rostered tight end, and it's simply because he was going a full round after Laporta and Mayer in rookie drafts. Um, so that's where my bet is. Like, I, I also think that Luke Musgrave, when the starters were out there um, for uh, the Packers in the preseason, uh, Luke Musgrave was in on pretty much every Jordan Love drop back. He, he received a decent target share. Obviously, this is the preseason, but I think Luke Musgrave has a really clear shot to be like a focal point of that passing game with all those young pass catchers that we talked about, uh, you know, again, Kincaid, Laporta and Mayer all have that same shot. It's just Luke Musgrave is the cheapest, right? So 
Um, that's where I'm kind of placing my bets. Um, and if Musgrave comes out, he's, you know, running a full complement of snaps. Uh, I, he will just become more of a buy to me. Um, I guess that would be like my action out of this. But I'm not even really thinking in terms of action right now. I'm just thinking like I want to see what happens out of this kind of historic 2023 tight end class. Well, that's that's just it. it. It is historic in the sense of like all of these are pass catching tight ends. They're not known mm-hmm. for their blocking and they were drafted to do just that. Get out there and catch passes. And I think the situations are excellent for all of the ones that you just mentioned. Michael Mayer there uh, like getting check downs. You got Laporta there looking like the man in Detroit and then Kincaid. Obviously that's a high powered offense, but Luke Musgrave was my tight end one pre-draft. And I think that he has just as much of an opportunity, like you mentioned to, uh, to get that. And around later, of course, I love that. Um, I, the Tucker craft is, I guess the problem that, we brought up before, but he looks to be more of the blocking tight end anyway. So this historic class has really switched the way that I look at rookie tight ends, at least for this year, um, because normally I'm all the way out and want nothing to do with them. But I tend to agree that I think um, that this this group of guys is going to be in fantasy starting lineups and sooner than later. Yeah. So, uh, there are things working in Luke Musgrave's favor. All the pass catchers are young. Um, I think he's got as good a shot as any. But like you said, action, I think the prices are all going to stay around the same. And so that's a good thing. Because if you start to notice something happening in the first month that they're getting the highest target share or whatever, I don't think that e- any of their prices are going to drastically increase. So... Um, If you start to get a whiff of one of these guys emerging, then I would act sooner and not later. Yeah, I I, I think that makes sense. I mean, all of them, with the exception personally of Kincaid, are probably like a process buy for me right now, Um, just because like they're they're not horribly expensive. Um, But yeah, like Musgrave just stands out and and we've said that multiple times. So again, I just want to see which one of them or multiple of them are kind of on track to have that Evan Ingram rookie year. Uh, And we forget how, you know, stand out Evan Ingram's rookie year when it when it comes to like the history of rookie tight ends. So that's a high bar, but I think one or two of them can hit it. All right. Mike check. Because for the first time in a long time. It is halftime. Nas, why did you do it? You know you got the mad fat fluid when you rhyme. It's halftime. All right, we're barreling in on week one. So we're returning to our regularly scheduled halftime program, and that is each week, each of the four of us on TLG pick a game against the spread, and we place a parlay on it. Now, I am not the only one who lives in an area where it's legal to bet. Trey lives in Massachusetts. In the last year, Massachusetts passed sports betting. So he will be placing the parlay along with me. And Mitch and John definitely will not. They will not be participating in any betting this year. Sucks for y'all. But they are still going to give us picks. So let's kick off this halftime. Mitch, what is your pick against the spread for week one? All right, Tarek, I have the San Francisco 69ers. 
minus two and a half over the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think that's when I when I took a look at all of the spreads, this one jumped out to me first. I don't think the Steelers have what it takes to win their opener at home, especially with the spread at minus two and a half. 49ers by at least a field goal. Please and thank you. Yeah, that's <laughs> two and a half. Yeah, man. That for like they were like on the cusp of the Super Bowl last year. Nothing has changed about that team. I don't get it. Uh, yeah, that's that. That's got to be a lock. I don't know. I will be like thoroughly surprised again. I'm one of those people that is like kind of snooty about. We actually don't know how things are going to turn out, you know, year over year. Things in the NFL change so much. But man, the the 49ers only being two and a half point favorites over the Pittsburgh they Steelers. They were in the is, NFC Championship game without a quarterback. And we're and we're saying they're barely going to beat the fucking Steelers. No. Yeah, we're we're ta- we're talking a lot of shit right now, but man, I when we log on next week if if the if the Pittsburgh Steelers came away under a field goal uh, at home against the 49ers, I will be thoroughly surprised. All right. So we got the 49ers minus two and a half, and then I will take another favorite. I got the Vikings minus six at home versus the Bucks. So, I'm taking a little bit bigger of a spread here, a little bit bigger of a swing. Um, but against, uh, uh, I think, uh, the bucks are probably a worse team than the Steelers. So Vikings are playing at home. Um, they had a really explosive offense last year and they replaced Adam Thielen with Jordan Addison, uh, TJ Hawkinson locked up on that long-term contract. Hopefully Kirk cousins is healthy. I just, I cannot see, uh, I cannot see the bucks win like, losing by less than a touchdown here i guess like if baker mayfield is is decent at driving the bus and they're able to keep it close like that's an outcome i can see i just don't think they're they're going to be able to keep up with the vikings offense uh on the road so give me vikings uh by 10 um and i only have to give up six yeah with you there man all right uh so Next, we got Trey and John's pick. Uh, so they're sending in their picks in absentia. Trey's got Cincinnati minus two and a half at the Cleveland Browns. Another favorite here. Uh, only need to win by a field goal against Deshaun Watson and his Browns. What do you think about that pick, Mitch? Oh, yeah. Since he over the Browns, um, the, the Bengals are, are they away or are they at home? Sorry, you cut out there. Yeah, no worries. Uh, they are away in Cleveland. Yeah, that's still fine with me. They wear the same colors, so it'll be like a home game anyway. Same state. Yeah, no. <laughs> same they, state. They, they yeah. got this. Give me, give me Joe Burrow and that wagon um, in Cincinnati. Love it. All right, and then John is rounding us out here with our final favorite of the week. So we got four favorites. What could go wrong? John's got the Jacksonville Jaguars minus four and a half at Indianapolis. Um, and again, like four favorites kind of makes me nervous, but I'm pretty confident that the Jaguars are going to be really good this year. I think Trevor Lawrence took a huge step last year. He's kind of on the cusp of superstardom here. And Anthony Richardson in his first start, uh, at Lucas oil, uh, kind of gives me blowout vibes. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to agree there too. And typically I, I wouldn't love all of these road, uh, favorites but man the Colts starting what Dion Jackson <laughs> yeah. nah dude like 
No. Richardson is the wild card, of course. I mean, if he runs wild and the Jags can't contain him. But the, the Jags also, same same as like the 49ers, man. The Jags like had a pretty deep run yeah. into the playoffs. And the Colts had a pretty deep run into the ground. So I think, yeah, I, I, give me the Jags here. All right. So just to recap, uh, Mitch has got the 49ers minus two and a half on the road against Pittsburgh. Trey's got Cincinnati minus two and a half at the Browns. John's got the Jaguars minus four and a half at Indianapolis. And I've got the lone the lone home favorite Vikings at minus six at home versus the Bucks. Just to give a little recap, uh, we've been doing this is our third year doing this halftime segment in year one. Uh, we were able to hit three parlays in year two. We hit two parlays. Um, all you need to do to be profitable in this game is hit two parlays. So we're looking at year three of profitability here. Let's get it. Vikings, 69ers, Bengals, and Jags. All right, let's kick off this second half and give you four more things that Mitch and I are paying attention to in the first month of the season. Mitch, take it away. Let's do it. All right, let's... Keep it in the quarterback. Uh, I got Mac Jones and the Patriots. The Patriots have an over-under of six and a half wins for the entire year. Uh, And Mac Jones had 14 points per game in 2021 and 12.9 in 2022, even getting benched for Bailey Zappi at one point in the year. So I was pretty big on Bailey Zappi this offseason, and of course, in a surprising move, he was waived. Uh, The Pats do look like the worst team in that division, though, and uh, they still have the best coach, and they do have Ramon DeBay Stevenson, so, and the the wide receivers are more of the, what, Juju Smith-Schuster, a lot of, like, uh, short pass-catching wide receivers. Um, You got Kayshawn Butt, you got Kendrick Bourne, it's it's not great, but the Tyquan Thornton. The, you got the, the two threat. tight ends. Yeah, you Mike Gesicki and Hunter Henry, right? So I, I I don't foresee any one of those guys being the guy, but I do think that Mac Jones can complete a lot of passes. Yeah, and I think that could be pretty decent for fantasy, and I do think that he can ascend that that low bar of 12.9, a consistent theme this episode all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, the backup quarterback there is uh, Golden Corral and practice squad Zappy still there. So this is Jones's team this year. Yeah, after after cutdown day, it was one quarterback on the roster and it was Mac Jones. Um, so I think Trey has been on the Mac Jones he has. Is, is a value all offseason. So shout out to Trey there. Uh, I think his job, at least for this year, is a little bit more secure than uh, maybe you and I thought it would be. Um, so, yeah, I guess like I, I mean, he's kind of got that low end QB two price tag on him right now. Uh, what, what do you what do you think about Mac Jones as an asset in Dynasty? So I kind of got a plan here because I looked at their first four games, and this is a brutal start. They got the Eagles week one, then they got the Dolphins, the Jets, and the Cowboys. Jesus Christ. The Patriots might be starting 0-4. And if that happens, I want me some of that Big Mac, dude. I want some (laughs) Mac Jones in my life. And because I don't think he's going to lose his job. And I I think that he's going to be a dude in Superflex that you want to plug in as your quarterback two, or at least as your quarterback three insurance policy here. And so... 
I don't see any other way around this. I think that he's going to be a buy in the early part of the seasons. He's already a buy now, but less less of a buy once the the other quarterbacks got released and he's certified is the starter there. So, um, yeah, I I don't know, man. I I didn't think that it would come to this. I didn't think that I'd be championing Mac Jones, but here we are. Yeah, it's funny because I agree with you. Obviously, everybody knows how I feel about Ramondre Stevenson. But yeah, the, the pass catchers, I, I, I think Juju Smith-Schuster might be toast. Like he might just be done. Uh, he really hasn't played at all the preseason or really practiced much this this offseason. I think he's had like a knee issue. Um, like I, I don't think he's been a particularly good player since like 2019. And then, yeah, the rest of the pass catchers don't inspire a lot of confidence. But like you don't really need them to for Mac Jones to return value, right? So um I'm, we're coming around to trey's perspective here that mac jones uh, could be could be somebody that you want to get on your fantasy teams and it sounds like after the first month it might be even more palatable now the thing that does scare me is if the patriots do in fact suck like they're they're gonna be in the running for a new quarterback next year and mac jones probably takes the uh the mitch trubisky route and just backs up a, a good quarterback for the foreseeable future so when it comes to how much I'm willing to throw down for Mac Jones, I think it's similar to the Jordan Love conversation. Yeah. If Mac Jones ever becomes a second-round pick value, then I'm I'm going to be in. There, you'll, there's no way in hell. Say the Patriots are 4-0 week one, and he's killing it. I am not paying a first for Mac. That is not happening. Gotcha. All right. Good to know. All right, uh, I'm going to keep us moving here. I referenced Rashad White earlier. So the next thing I want to talk about here is the Tampa Bay backfield. Uh, And it's, you know, uh, the question I have is, can Sean Tucker, uh, undrafted free agent out of Syracuse, can he eat Rashad White's lunch? And spoiler alert, I think he can. Sean Tucker had a shot to be a day two pick before medical concerns came up with his heart during the pre-draft process. Since then, he has been cleared, uh, and he made the final 53 uh, as an undrafted free agent for the Buccaneers. Right now, you know, it bears saying that he is listed on the official depth chart as fourth behind Rashad White, Chase Edmonds, and Keyshawn Vaughn. That doesn't scare me. I don't have any concerns with him beating out Chase Edmonds and Keyshawn Vaughn. And his prospect profile is pretty nice. I think we kind of glossed over him when we were talking running backs. Like we did a segment on him, but you know, there's some things to like here. He's got the 86th percentile speed score, 28 reps on the bench. That's 95th percentile, very strong running back, as well as a nearly 16% college target share, which is again, above that 90th percentile threshold, 32% dominator, which is really respectful. I think Sean Tucker has a chance to walk in the door to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as the best rusher on the team. And I think he's got the best shot of all four of those backs of being a potential three down workhorse. I think Rashad white is explosive. He's a, you know, a solid pass catcher. I think he was like pretty horrible as a runner last year. Um, and during rookie draft season, Tucker for me was kind of this year's Khalil Herbert. Uh, he was a guy that you can get in the fourth round of rookie drafts that had a shot at being good. Uh, so I have Sean Tucker on 40% of my dynasty rosters. Tucker had no draft capital, like we said, but he does have a better prospect profile than Herbert did coming out. 
And he's arguably got a more ambiguous backfield coming into the league than Herbert did with David Montgomery coming off of what I believe was like a top six point per game season in 2019 uh, or, or 2020 when Khalil Herbert came into the league. So again, uh, I, I'm really interested to see over the first month if Sean Tucker can overtake that backfield. I think it's super possible. Um, and if he comes in in the first couple of weeks and has a, a reasonable role, but maybe is only, you know, like a 35% touch share guy, uh, he's going to become a, a pretty significant buy for me, I think. So agreed. Um, I, I will say three hours ago, Sports Illustrated published that Sean Tucker is the running back two officially. Oh, really? Um, I, I was yeah. looking on the Bucks website earlier today. So now, now our guy, Chad, with two A's white um <laughs> i'm with you there too i i think that we we read this wrong last year those of us that found it impressive that chad was taking leonard fournette's touches away and we looked at that as like oh okay this guy is uh this guy's good he's earning it but when we got the all the film now and uh, i i tend to agree that he's not a great runner and that he does have explosiveness and he is a good pass catcher now, I do think that does benefit him in this situation because when I look at the Buccaneers' offense, I I think that Baker is going to be slinging it, whether it's to the other team or not. That's to be determined. But <laughs> I do I do think that when you have Mike Evans and you have Chris Godwin and you have Chad White in there doing pass pro and running out for catches, that I think that I think that most of the fantasy points are going to go to White. What I do think, though, will happen over the the course of the first month is that Sean Tucker is probably going to take those early down runs, right? So if the Buccaneers focus more on the run, then we might see an increase in touches for Tucker. But I'm trying to think for myself. So I agree that he was a buy and that we bought him up. I have a lot of shares of him as well in the fourth round or undrafted or otherwise. Yeah, I think we have him on two rosters that we co-manage. So mm-hmm. we're, we're both. Oh, there. yeah, def- definitely loved that price. But I, I'd imagine that this price goes up. And so I think I'm still willing to pay a third. Definitely still willing to pay a third. Yeah. I don't know how thrilled I'd be to pay a two- uh, moving forward, but I mean, if he shows that burst and shows that like he went from undrafted free agent to starter, then I, I like that. But I'm going to throw some caution in the wind here too. I was a big James Robinson fan for a little bit, mm-hmm. and he was pretty good for a little bit. He was pretty good for a little bit before he tore that Achilles. So, and, and he's never going to play again. <laughs> yeah, he's he's <laughs> like been on three teams this off season, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of I, I feel like with Jordan Love and Mac Jones and now Sean Tucker, I'm kind of and it may just be the season, right? We're getting into September, mm-hmm. first month of the season. I'm really starting to buy into Trey's fuck a future two perspective. Like if Sean Tucker is taking over that backfield, we see him tick up week over week over week. You know, by the time we get to week four, if he's like, you know, in that 30 to 40 percent opportunity share range, fuck a future two. Like I, I I'm I'll make a bet on that because you'll have plenty of opportunities for the rest of the year to recoup that value in some way or another. 
True. And yeah, I, I just don't think the Bucks are going to be running a whole lot, man. I, I do think that they're a pretty bad team and will be playing from behind, but that's no reason to fade somebody. And, you know, the heart condition causing the the fall in the draft might better explain the, the non-existent draft cap. Yeah. But we've seen the NFL with running backs just not give a fuck about them. So... When I see somebody with no draft cap, I'm still concerned. But yeah, yeah I mean, if he's going to help you win some games, then so be it. But I'm not as bullish as his price goes up. I like where I got him, which isn't helpful to anybody. Yeah, I, he's running back. <laughs> he's running back 50 right now on keep trade cut. So he's still very acquirable. Yeah. And the last thing I want to say on Sean Tucker is shout out to our guy, Tony at TH Fantasy. I know he listens to uh all of our episodes so shout out to you man when we did our uh our rookie preview series the running backs uh we kind of like i said we glossed over sean tucker a little bit a lot of that is because he didn't participate in the combine uh because of the health concern etc etc so we didn't really give him a fair shake and uh tony reached out to me uh, like immediately afterwards and was like man take another look at sean tucker um so now that you know he's been in the news a little bit more uh, I've been looking a little bit closer. So wanted to give Tony some flowers there. Shout out to you, man. Uh, we're excited about Sean Tucker. And we've got a lot of him. And partially that's that's because of you. So, uh, Mitch, each of us got one more thing to talk about before we close out the show. Give us your fourth trend or you know storyline you might be paying attention to over the first month of the 2023 NFL season. Now, let me see. So we originally had five, so I'm going to choose my favorite here. Let's go with the health and usage of Brees Hall, okay. Javante Williams, and J.K. Dobbins. I so, love it. I love it. You're giving us a three for one. You know it. You know it. It's a three-sided coin. Why choose one when you can choose three? Exactly. And they're all healthy with air quotes, right? So... <laughs> Dalvin and Brees are set to play week one, and we assume Dalvin gets the most reps, right? I do. Yeah. Uh, and then we got Javante, super healthy air quotes, <laughs> with P. Ryan, who I would assume gets the bulk of the carries as well. And then you got J.K. Dobbins, who who the fuck knows if he's healthy, because can't can't trust what he's saying, and you can't really trust what the Ravens are saying about him. So these are all like very TBD types of situations. Now, we think we know what's going to go on, but I will say once once the games start to happen, we're we're going to we're going to know, right? So, Brees had problems with with cutting apparently. Yeah. Javante, like I mean, we know how huge that injury was. Yeah. And Gus Edwards might be the guy taking the reps from JK Dobbins even though he's not as good. So, I, I, I'm going to have my ear on the ground for all of these guys. And if if I can acquire any of these players uh, because they are being outperformed early by the players that we expect them to be outperformed by, then I'm going to be trying to buy up all these shares. Um, I, I know that there are contending teams out there with Brees Hall hoping that he gets better. And after a month of fantasy football... These teams might be 0-4, and these are the windows that I'm hoping to look for. Now, I'm also going to be looking to see if these guys still have that that cut, if they still have that burst, because we don't know. We just, we don't know. And 
I I think it's it's going to be in our best interest to take the uh, the film into consideration when uh, trading for these guys because you don't want to get burned. You don't want to get caught holding the bag of J.K. Dobbins just because we're assuming he's going to be healthy. So if he goes out there and looks crusty and is losing work, then I'm not going to be I'm not going to be trading for him. Yeah, I I think. I'll be much more patient, obviously, with Brees Hall and Javante Williams, given that they're, you know, coming off of their injury year versus J.K. Dobbins is another year removed. I think if J.K. Dobbins comes out and he's not getting the opportunity share that we want in that Todd Monken offense, which we are expecting to be explosive, then uh, I'll be pretty disappointed and I'll, I'll probably fade him pretty quickly. That that's not what I'm expecting, though. Like, honestly, I'm pretty high on J.K. Dobbins. We know Trey's high on J.K. Dobbins. It's his reputation running back. So um, like looking at what J.K. Dobbins accomplished last year, when he was on the field and touching the ball, he was still an extremely effective rusher with like a noticeable gait. Like his, his <laughs> he was like noticeably yeah. limping on like 70 yard runs. It was it was kind of amazing. Right. So. We expect that to, you know, be fixed this year. Like, hopefully he's completely healthy, you know, a full two years away from the injury. Um, but I don't know. I mean, look, if, if it's if it's lingering still. Yeah, that's bad. then <laughs> he is not long for the NFL. Yeah. Right. And so that's that's the thing. I, I got to get out. And yes, agreed with you there. You you have to have patience. It's a different situation with Brees and Javante. Yeah. You're expecting them to be eased in. And so if we see the signs that they are healthy and being eased in, then those are like, bye, 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 bye. I love me. that. Yeah. If, if, if like, I like how you phrased it. Like if we see them being outperformed by guys who we like project to get a little bit more work in the beginning of the year and that affects their price, mm -hmm. um, then that's a signal to us. Right. Because. You know, I think I, I would probably bet on Javante Williams having a few more rushes than Samaj P. Ryan in week one. But if it's flipped, I'm not going to be surprised, right? So if that happens, like, and it affects Javante's price, you know, more than it already has, um, then, yeah, I, I'll be looking to buy as well. I do have a decent amount of Javante exposure. I think I'm about 20% uh, across my dynasty league. So love it. Uh, Brees Hall, I mean... Uh, he's he's like Saquon Barkley esque. Like if the if the injury discount comes for him, like even if even let let me say this, if Brees Hall comes back and he like re injures some, like he like you know kind of like gets like a sprain, tweaks he tweaks his knee, or he like you know a lot of times we see like soft tissue injuries, like a mm -hmm. hamstring injury due to because like overcompensating or whatever. Hashtag not a doctor, but if that happens then I'm going to be buying, right? Like oh, yes. Because, you know, Saquon Barkley coming off of his ACL year, he had a lot of ankle problems, and we were banging the table to buy Saquon Barkley all year, and it worked out, right? And I think Brees Hall is that level of player and that any kind of injury discount you get on him, even if it's because of a real re-aggravation, uh, it, it, it should signal buy to everyone. All right, uh, final thing we're going to talk about here uh, for things we're paying attention to for the first month of the 2023 season is the chargers. All right. So the last thing I want to talk about is how the chargers offense is going to look with Kellen Moore. You know, Kellen Moore was Colin plays the last couple of years in Dallas. Um, he is a creative play caller. 
He was able to get a lot out of that Dallas offense, even with basically nobody behind CeeDee Lamb over the last couple of years. Uh, Dalton Schultz was the wide receiver too over the last few years, and he's an average player. So I think we're expecting a bounce back year for Justin Herbert and an offense that throws over expectation and does it efficiently. Sounds great, right? So where I'm getting hung up is that on keep trade cut right now, here is the rankings of the pass catchers. Quinton Johnston is wide receiver 26. So the rookie out of TCU, first round pick, wide receiver 26. He is the most expensive pass catcher on the Chargers offense. Keenan Allen, wide receiver 37. Mike Williams, wide receiver 39. Josh Palmer, wide receiver 81. And Gerald Everett, tight end 28. And that's behind wide receiver 84, Adam Thielen. <laughs> right? So... We're expecting Justin Herbert to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL with one of, you know, the, you know, top half play callers in the NFL on an explosive offense. And yet the only pass catcher that's remotely expensive from an acquisition standpoint is the rookie Quentin Johnston. I'm not going to pretend like I know where the value is in that group of five, six players, but I promise you there's value in there. There is there is value between wide receiver 37 and wide receiver 84 where all of those Chargers pass catchers are going. Quentin Johnston, he's had mixed reviews out of camp, so that's why he's actually fallen in keep trade cut over the last month or so. And the projection is that QJ will start as a part-time player. But I don't know, man. I, I'm I'm paying attention over the first month to where where does this offense go? Who does who does Kellen Moore run the passing game through with Justin Herbert? Because there's value to be had here. I think his name is Keenan Allen, my friend. Yeah. Um, I I have Jesus Christ five redraft drafts tonight, and <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Keenan Allen is on my redraft radar. Now I get why Quentin Johnston is so much higher than. Keenan Allen is a first round pick and expected to be the guy moving forward. But this year, as you as you mentioned, the, the Chargers have, have a bit of a squad, man. Like that they're, they're gonna score some points, and these receivers are gonna catch some balls. And uh, <laughs> I think Keenan Allen, though, is the uh focal point here. Mike Williams has been on again, off again, the guy injured, and then, you know. He's the, he's a complimentary piece. He's the classic. He'll smash when you don't expect him to smash, and he'll crash and burn when you expect him to do really well. So great best ball target, indeed. Yeah. So I I'm like a little bit. Uh, part of me wants to buy Mike Williams at wide receiver 39, just because I'm so down on him. Like as like a player, like I think like he was so disappointing last year, whereas the year before. Uh, he had, you know, really great stretches with that, with Joe Lombardi's offense. Right. So I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm leaning right now, even though Mike Williams is on 0% of my dynasty teams anymore, I might, I might poke around a little bit to get at least a share. The only player I have on my dynasty teams pretty consistently out of all of these guys is actually Gerald Everett. And it's because he was like a 17th round startup pick this off season. Yeah, yeah, I I do have me some Everett as well. I there's not a tight end there that is like I, I guess Parham is there, but 
he doesn't really yeah do anything other than be six seven and massive but um yeah i i do think that the the ball is spread around there in uh la and uh i think that uh quentin johnston's gonna be uh, hit or miss but I, I i the two guys that that are going to be fantasy gold this year. I'll plant my flag at obviously Austin Eckler, but Keenan Allen, I think is he's got top 10 wide receiver potential this year. And I think I'm expecting the chargers offense to take a step forward with um, the addition of a better play caller. So, yeah. And let, let me close out just with another thought on Quentin Johnston, like two months ago, Quentin Johnston was like wide receiver 19, wide receiver 20-ish in the keep trade cut streets. He's already down to wide receiver 26. That's just testament to how like reactionary the marketplace can be. I think there's plenty of upside with Quentin Johnston. So what we typically see with rookie wide receivers, even the good ones, is a pretty slow start. You know, maybe the first four to eight weeks, Quentin Johnston, we shouldn't expect a lot out of him. So if we're okay with the wide receiver 26 price right now, if he doesn't produce a lot in the first month of the season, ends up being like wide receiver 32, 33, uh, look to buy is, is what oh, I yeah. would say. I'd still take him over Addison and Flowers, and I know that's probably an unpopular opinion considering I saw Flowers go before both those two in a rookie draft. But I might have higher expectations than you do for Johnston this year. Just I think that there's a lot of... Uh, there's going to be a lot to go around. And if he wiggles his way into that starting lineup, which I think he will, then I think he's going to get some more volume than, uh, than I guess we're thinking. It'll be interesting to see if, if like Josh Palmer is the wide receiver three all throughout the first month. Uh, and if that's the case, like Quentin Johnston's stock is certainly going to fall, but that I'm not going to be off of him. For, you know, like I, I, I'm, I'm willing to like give him the full year before I'm worried about Quentin Johnston. So when we're talking about the first month in this episode, um, I'm not expecting a lot of Quentin Johnston in the first month. And if his price goes down, no matter how much he's playing, I'll be interested in buying. Yeah. I, I want to touch on, um, Joshua Palmer before we close out, just because he was a bit of, an asset at times last year when the other wide receivers were hurt. He seemed to be the guy that stepped up. And uh, I think his position is pretty safe. He's the the slot guy. And uh, aside from Keenan Allen, of course, but like, I do think the Chargers are also going to run with four wide receivers and have yeah. two slots essentially. So um, Palmer is like Tyler Boyd, though, like a, a guy that, I, I I can't justify paying for. Um, so if you have Palmer deep on your bench and he performs early, sell him quickly. Yeah, yeah, a, a couple of thirds or something like. Sure. Like, yeah. I mean, right now you're not going to be able to get more than a third for him. So no, no, no. Um, yeah, obvious. If you can get a second at any point in the year, I, I think that's that's easy um but yeah we'll we'll keep a we'll keep our finger on the pulse there all right uh i think that that does it for today's episode we talked about eight things we're paying attention to over the first month of the season we also got our first round of halftime picks in for 2023 
three days away from uh, the Chiefs kicking off against the Lions at Arrowhead. I got to say, Mitch, uh, I feel like last year I was like, I was excited for football, but I was like a little bit like less amped than I have been in the past. This year, I'm back in, man. I have you're back, I, baby. I am back. I have I have missed NFL football. A lot of that also was because I watched way less NBA this year. The Dallas mm. Mavericks were terrible, so that was part of it. Like I had less off season sports to keep me distracted. So I'm I am fully ready for the NFL to come back. Yeah, I I am amped this year. I don't even like sure go Titans, I guess, but. I've had more fantasy teams than I've ever had. And that number is only going to keep going up. And I, I'm rooting for myself now, damn it. Yeah. But, I, but between redraft <laughs> and dynasty, what's like the the estimate of how many teams you're at? I, I just did a count. It was like 40. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Fun. Very cool. All right. Uh, well, everybody enjoy uh, week one. Uh, we'll, we'll try. I mean, no promises. I, again, I, I don't do like the weekly roundtable discussion comment anymore because we've been a little bit more busy as uh, men in the world over the last year or so. We'll try to get on the mic a little bit more often. Obviously, we'll put our halftime picks up on Twitter if we don't record in a specific week. But uh, we'll be talking to you regardless consistently throughout uh, the 2023 season, trying to give you an edge on your dynasty league mates. Appreciate you guys listening to episode 93. We'll talk to y'all soon. Goodbye.